Good morning. How is everyone? Good. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, please, chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13 today. It says this from the Word of God. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind." by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of gathering together today with the saints. In this church and churches across the nation and churches across the world as they praise your name, as they glorify you, as they hear the word, and it transforms lives and transforms hearts. We thank you for your word, Father, that you've given it to us, that we've received it, that we've responded in faith to you. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to do that in the hearts and minds of people who don't know you, that they would receive your word and accept it for what it is, the word of God. Lord, we pray that truth would be proclaimed today from the pulpits of your church and only truth, that the word of God would be preached in its fullness. We thank you, Lord, that you are good to us, that you love us so much. Thank you for your spirit who fills us to walk in your ways. Bless our time now, Lord, we ask. A number of years ago, I uh, read a book with a group of men in this church, and the title of the book basically gives away the premise, or really the point, of the entire book, and the title was this, Ideas Have Consequences. Written um, almost 75, yeah, about 75 years ago by a gentleman called uh, Richard Weaver, a philosopher of sorts. Very weighty and philosophical book. But that was really his main point that he drives at. Ideas have consequences. So an idea in and of itself can't be isolated. A particular idea or belief will lead a person down one path or lead them down another path. And in this passage today, we see a contrast made between two things, right? The word of men and the word of God. And how we approach both of those will inevitably lead us down one path or another. So let's look at it for a moment. I want to begin by asking, why is the Word of God important? Why is it important? One, it gives the clarity that we need on issues pertaining to salvation. Right? It is what we need for salvation. Can you read the Bible and get saved? 
Yes. And that's why we have an organization like the Gideons, right? And they go on to different universities and campuses and, and hand out those little Bibles, right? What is their hope as they're handing out those Bibles? That people read it, right? But not just read it. They, they receive it. They believe it. That lives are changed. So why can you read the Bible and get saved? Because the Word of God shows what is necessary for salvation. Right? So the gospel is the singular issue which the church must be united on. We must be united on the issue of the gospel. Friends, if, if, if you don't have the gospel, you don't have salvation. If you don't have the gospel, you don't have a real church. If you don't have the gospel, you are lost in your sins. And God has given the church the keys to the kingdom. What does this mean? It means the church has been entrusted with the gospel. It has the keys. Look at Matthew 28. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians because we're coming back, but I want you to see it. Let's start in verse 16, Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who is Jesus addressing here? I mean, it says it back in verse 16, right? The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. He's speaking to the disciples. When he gives what we call the Great Commission, when Jesus is talking here, he's not talking to the state officials. He didn't gather up Pontius Pilate and all of them. Of course, they probably would kill him again if they could. But he didn't gather all the state officials and talk to them and give them this commission. He didn't gather up all the families of, of Jerusalem and, and gather them together and give them this commission. Now, who did he gather? The believers. The disciples. The ones that he was going to give a charge to do what? Take his message. But who was he speaking to as the disciples? Not the state, not the family, but the church. They represented not the state. They represented not the family. They represented the church. This commission is given to the church. The church. He gathered the believers and gave them this charge. I mean, think about this, friends. Why does Paul take such care in the book of Romans to define the gospel and to lay out in detail what salvation looks like? Because it's very important. It's crucial. It's quintessential to us knowing God himself. 
Why does John, in the book of 1 John, he takes such care to define who Jesus is? You read 1 John, go read it. It's a very simple book in many ways, but actually pretty deep. Because he, he addresses Jesus' deity and his humanity. Both things which came under attack in the early church. So John is talking about things that are important to salvation. Why? Because these things matter. Not just matter in a general sense, but matter specifically to salvation. So the word of God, it matters. It really matters. Okay, listen. I I don't care what you have to say about salvation. I care what the word has to say about salvation. And then you need to take that word and faithfully represent it to other people. Part of this gets a little bit into natural revelation versus special revelation. Do you know the difference? Natural revelation is what we can observe just by walking outside and seeing nature. We can see the created world and how God has set it up. And we can understand certain limited things about God. Romans 1 tells us a few of those things. But God says his, order, his created order itself, his creation declares to everyone what? That there's a God. That this world was created by him. That there is a higher power. That's what natural revelation can get us. Can natural revelation get us to the cross? No. Now, in terms of the the history, we could could go and read that there was this man, Jesus, and, and he was, you know, crucified on a cross, right? We could get that. We could probably find accounts saying that he rose from the dead, right? <clears throat> we can get history, but we can't get special revelation without God himself revealing truth to us. Think about this for a moment. If we picked out an unreached people group, there's still unreached people groups out there, by the way, groups Nations, tribes that have not heard the good news of Jesus. I hope that breaks your heart. Let's say we picked out one of those unreached people groups. We taught you their language and we put you in their community. Could God use you to save some of them? Yeah, right? I mean, how would they get saved? Right? By the word of God, by you sharing with them. Now, what if you didn't yet have the ability to translate the word of God into their language? Could they still be saved? What about you weren't allowed to bring your Bible with you? Could they still be saved? I agree. Yes. Why? Because you would be taking the special revelation of God. You would be taking the things that you knew, learned, believed, trusted from the word of God and giving them that thing, the gospel message. But if we tried to limit and say, well, anything you learned about the Bible, anything that that you learned from the word of God, you you can't share that with them. 
could they get saved? No, they couldn't. You, you have to have the word. You have to have the special revelation that God revealed to us. So the word is important. Without it, no salvation. No salvation. We have to have the word. We have to take it with us. Two, the word is important because it speaks to moral issues that reflect the very nature of God. What is he like? What does he require? What does he want from us? What does he say about this thing? What does he say about that thing? It shows us how he wants us to walk. Okay, so with that in mind, it brings us to a place of decision. Friends, you have to decide what you believe about the Word of God. The Thessalonians made a decision. It says, turn back to it. It says in verse 13 that when they received the Word of God, they accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. So they, they decided that the word of God that was brought to them by the apostles was truly the word of God. So you have to decide what you believe about the word. The Thessalonians, they decided. You have to decide. Now look what Paul did back in verse 13. He starts out, we also thank God constantly. Now he's going he's gonna to use that word again in 1 Thessalonians Five, pray, pray constantly or pray without ceasing. He's thanking them, he's thanking God constantly. Well, I mean, if you're thanking God, you're praying, right? Right? So he's praying and he's and he's in a in a constant state of thankfulness for the Thessalonians. For why? That they received the word and accepted it as the word of God. They decided that the word of God was actually the word of God. So he's thankful. And and Paul <clears throat> comes back to that later because that, that's his attitude with prayer is a thankful attitude. Now friends, we have to decide what we believe about the word of God in terms of are we committed to that word? Are we really committed to it? In other words, is the word of God really the word of God? Because there's a comparison here. The word of men versus the word of God. What is the word of men? It's unreliable. It's open to falsehood. It's changing. It's biased. What is the word of God? True, reliable, unchanging. And everyone has to decide what they believe about the Bible and if they'll really follow it. Is it the word of men or is it the word of God? Because here's the thing. Your answer to that question will take you down one path or another. Your idea about the Word of God will have a consequence. Remember, ideas have consequences. So will you believe the, the Word of God in its entirety? Will you believe the parts you don't like? Will you believe the parts that make you squirm a little? One person said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me. But seriously, friends, we, 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 can't, we can't just pick apart the Bible and take the parts we, we, we like and want to believe. It's, it's, the Word of God is the Word of God. You can't, you can't piecemeal it. So, will you believe what it says about marriage? 
Will you believe what it says about sexual immorality? Will you believe what it says about gender? Will you believe what it says about roles in the home? Will you believe what it says about ethnicities? Will you believe what it says about money? Will you believe what it says about government? And on and on and on. You have to decide what you believe about the Word of God. Now, a lot of people, they, they, they try to speak for God. You know, God says this or God says that. Everyone wants to speak for God. Here's the thing. When people are speaking in the name of God, you have to compare it to the actual Word of God. Okay? Take it and compare it, even what I'm saying. Take it and compare it. If they say the Word says this or the Word says that, then, then you have to compare it to the actual Word to see if it lines up. Friends, you, each one of us has to be ready to suffer for the gospel. Okay, if you're going to grow in your Christian faith, this, is, this, is, this doesn't preach well a lot of times, but it's the truth. If you're going to grow in your Christian faith, suffering and sorrow will have to be, at times, your faithful companions. Yeah. It's just true. The godliest of saints have weathered some of the worst storms of life. And you know what? It was those storms of life that refined them, that shaped them, that molded them into the saints that they are today. And the history of Christianity is ripe with suffering saints. People who love Jesus and yet suffered tremendously for the sake of the gospel. We need to be ready to suffer for the gospel. Why did the early Christians suffer? You, really, you want to know what it is? It's actually, it's really no different than it is today. The exclusivity at least in America, they said, the early Christians, Jesus and Jesus alone was God. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. The Romans would have been fine to add, to add little, little idol of Jesus to their little shelf of all the other gods on that shelf. They, they would have been fine with that. I'm serious. Oh, just one more. I mean, you know how many gods they had back then? You know, so, I mean, what's one, what's one more little god? So, I mean... The Romans would have been fine with that, no. But, but the Christians were like, um, no, there is no, there's, if there's, only, there's a shelf, there's only one God on that shelf, and that's Jesus. Okay? That's what the Romans had a problem with, was with the exclusive claim of Christianity, that Jesus was the only God. That it was only through him that salvation could come. That was offensive. Wasn't that where our culture is today? You know, wait, you're saying Jesus is the only way? You're so narrow-minded, and you think you're better than everyone else. You think you're right, and everyone else is wrong. Well, actually, that's kind of how it works. Um, you know, raise your hand if you believe anything that you actually know to be false. Okay, if you know something to be false, if you know it to be false, do you believe it? No. Okay? So, um... Of course, if you, if you know it's false, you stop believing it. So ironically, the person saying, you think you're right and everyone else is wrong, well, guess what? Uh, they think they're right and everyone else is wrong that doesn't agree with them. But uh, generally, people believe things they believe to be true. If they believed it to be false, they wouldn't believe it anymore. The Christian, which is us, 
the Christian has to stand up to the culture and plant a flag and say, this is what I believe. Has to be willing to take that stand. They say, this is what I believe. Why? Because this is what the Word of God says. Not, not what you feel or what you think. This is what the Word of God says. And here's where I'm standing. Why? Because God's Word is faithful and true. So, we believe the Word of men or we believe the Word of God. We, we don't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we believe. If we do that, guess what we're doing? We're making ourselves the arbiter of truth. We put ourselves into the position of deciding what is the word of God. We've really made ourselves God because now we're proclaiming what truth is. So we have to be careful. If we're going to take the Bible, we, we take it 100%. This is true, this isn't true. No, there's none of that. Oh, Ephesians 2, I don't like that. No, there's none of that. So you can believe your own words or you can believe the word of God. You can believe the culture's words or you can believe the word of God. There's no middle ground. Plant your flag in that ground, friends. Not the middle ground, but the ground of the word of God. Jesus is not going to let you down. He will stand by your side. He will be with you. So look where this leads the Thessalonians. We're going from 13 into 14. He says, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Imitators. Now he already uses that word back in chapter 1. How are they, how are they being imitators here? He says, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So they're being imitators here by their suffering. The Gentile believers suffered at the hands of the Gentile unbelievers in Thessalonica, just like the Jewish Christians suffered at the hands of the unbelieving Jews in Judea. Well, where did this imitation come from? What, what made them be imitators? It was the Word doing its work in them. And let me just encourage you, friends, let the Word do its work in you. Because here's the thing, and we can miss this. I've already read it once. Look back in verse 13 at the very end. He says, you accepted the word of God, which is at what? Work in you believers. It's at work in you. And what you believe about the word of God influences your growth. I mean, if you're just saying, oh, you know, the Word of God, I mean, it's sort of important. I, you know, sometimes I read it. That's going to influence your growth. That's going to impact it. But if you're like, man, this is, this is the special revelation that God has given to literally mankind for each one of us. It is the, the way for us to know God, to walk in salvation. What are you going to do with it? I mean, you're going you're gonna to ingest that. You're, you're going to want to be in there. You're going to want to be reading it. So w when the Word of God comes to you, even right now in this sermon, what you do with it is not neutral regarding your walk with Jesus. It's not neutral. I mean, think about, think about physical food. How many, of you, how many of you ate breakfast this morning? Okay, about half of you. Y'all getting hungry yet? Okay. So you got physical food. How many times a day do, do, do you eat? Like two to three times? 
Some of you are like eight, okay? <clears throat> I got teenage boys, all right? You got two hands to count how many times they eat each day. But, but why, are they eat, why, why, are, why are we eating multiple times each day? Why are we eating just, some people just eat once a day. <clears throat> why are we eating? You're hungry, but what is that food doing for you? Nourishment. You need a continual replenishment. That's why you keep eating. You need that continual replenishment. You need physical food to give you the energy for your body to function. Friends, it's the same spiritually with the Word of God. You've got to con- continually take it in. You've got to continually take it in. Okay? If you want it to have an effect, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't just eat, eat once in your life and think, oh, I'm good to go. That's not going to go so well for you. Because you need that continual energy. Friends, you need, you need the Word of God continually abiding in you. Most, if not all of you will admit, if you've been out, out of the Word for a few days, a week, some of you, if you're honest, would even say weeks or months, I, it, it impacts you. Okay? It impacts you. Let's just be honest. If you're not in the Word, it impacts you. Not for the good. So, just like eating physical food, we, we have to eat spiritual food. I mean, think about what Jesus, Jesus says, you know, he's, and sometimes even with his own disciples, he's like, I, I have food that you don't know about. Right? It's to do the will of my Father. And sometimes we get, we get so focused on the physical, we, we, we forget the spiritual. So, we need to feast on the Word. Not just once a week, not just every few days. If you want for the word to do its work, okay, back to what Thessalonians says, it's at work in you, believers. How, how can it be at work in you if it's not in you? I mean, think about that. And whatever you're ingesting, not physical, but whatever you're ingesting, it affects you. If you're on social media hours each day, that affects you, right? One of the reasons I did a, a, a fast, so to speak, from the news for almost two years until just a few months ago, um, it affected me negatively. That was just the truth. That was just for me. I was just like, man, I think I will be so much better with all this negative stuff that gets thrown at me. <clears throat> What you're, what you're feeding on, it affects you. That's why you want to choose carefully. People are like, oh, I can watch this movie or that movie. Well, you, you walk how you want with the Lord and those decisions, but it affects you. It affects you. Whatever movies you're watching, whatever books you're reading, whatever music you're listening to, it affects you. It affects you. So if you want to be affected and you want the Word to do its work, not Facebook to do its work, but the Word to do its work, guess what? you got to have the Word. you got to have it in you. you got to have it working in you. So if you, want, if you want that goodness coming in, then I would encourage you to choose books that reflect goodness and righteousness and holiness. Music that reflects goodness and righteousness and holiness. Media that reflects, oh, good luck with that. 
goodness and righteous and holiness. Okay? But those things affect us, friends. They do. All right? I'm surprised. When I was getting ready this morning and my little, little uh, notification popped up that you know, shows me how much screen time I have each week and breaks it down by the apps if you want. I don't, your phone probably does that too, right? I'm surprised that, that iPhone and Android, they, they actually do that because it's like a moment of shame sometimes. Like, I, I spent that much time on Instagram? That's embarrassing, you know? <clears throat> I'm surprised they do that. Because I, that should be like, a, every time that thing pops up, it's like a, it's like a rebuke, okay? Because it gives you the breakdown of what you did with your time that week. And then take that and you just compare it with, with your time in the Word. All right? So <clears throat> let's make sure we're people of the Word. That means we need to be people in the Word. The last thing I want to say to us is we need to prepare. We need to prepare. We need to prepare for persecution. Um, if you're going to carry the title of Christian and really be one, Listen, you'll be scoffed at and mocked, laughed and derided. It's going to happen if it hasn't already happened to you. If you're going to share the gospel, you're going to be scoffed at, mocked, laughed and derided. If you're going to stand on biblical truth, you'll be scoffed, laughed at, mocked and derided. If you're going to be a living witness for Jesus, you'll be scoffed, mocked, laughed at and derided. It's going to happen if it already hasn't. Not, Not every single time, but more and more so. The, the, the reason that, that, that we don't share with people is not because they're like, wow, that's the best news in the world. No, because we're concerned about the negative reaction that we're going to get from them. Let's be honest. We're, we're, we're counting the cost, and we figure the cost of our own self-pride and self-esteem is worth more than the cost of Jesus. We have to get used to the world pushing back on us. We get used to it, accept it, and strengthen ourselves in the Lord to deal with it. Look at Acts 17. Seventeen, let's pick it up. In verse 30, Paul is sharing here. <clears throat> We're kind of jumping in the middle of his gospel sharing here. He says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some what did some do? Mocked, yours might say sneered, right? But then what does it say? Others said, we will hear you again about this. Okay, I mean, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he's not stupid. He knew he'd be mocked. But what if he let that scare him into silence? Then the others that were interested, one, never would have heard the gospel message in the first place, and they never would have had the opportunity to say, hey, we want to hear more about this. Okay, so we, as believers, we have to stay on mission. We have to stay on mission. What's our mission? Really, it's belong, flourish, go. Okay, staying on mission means you're a part of the body of Christ. I mean, one, you're a believer, trusting in Jesus, but you're a part of the body of Christ, and you're flourishing as disciples. 
not just treading water as disciples, but you're flourishing as disciples. I mean, stay on mission. You want to grow, right? But then, I mean, you don't want to be selfish about your growth. You want to have the Lord use your growth to bless others. That's the go part. Belong, flourish, go. So you're flourishing, and then God is using you. He's sending you out to bless others, to minister to others, to preach the gospel. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. He says in verse 1, chapter 3, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Okay, we're in, we're in the last days, and the scoffers are here, and they're scoffing, okay? So it, it, it's a guarantee that we'll be scoffed at, okay? So, so buckle up, buttercup, because it's coming, and it's here. So hang on for the ride. But friends, this is the difference between the word of men and the word of God. One is easy to follow. It keeps you out of hot water. Everyone likes you. No one takes issue with you. The word of men. The other one is hard. It costs you everything. You have to lay down your life. You have to pick up your cross. That's the word of God. The word of men is enticing and easy. It calls out to come and live and drink deep in whatever desires you have. And then, and then sprinkle a little Jesus on top. Add a few Christian words occasionally and you'll be good. Don't do it. Too many follow that path of false Christianity. The word of God is a call to come and be a living sacrifice, to lay everything down at the foot of the cross and to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Here's how Jesus said it at, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Enter by what type of gate? The narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Okay? The narrow gate and the way is what? I, I mean, Jesus, I mean, he's just telling us straight out truth. The way is hard. The way is hard. But it leads to life. Eternal life. And those who find it are few. Let, let, let's be one of those few, okay? Let's be one of those few. We choose the narrow gate. The hard way. That's the path of Jesus. That's his path. The other path, that's, that's the word of men. Jesus' path. That's the way to eternal life. That's the word of God. That's the one that we need to be on. Let's pray. Father, may each one of us here count the cost and gladly pay it regardless of the cost. Many, many, many of us 
sooner than we think we'll be called to pay it. May we count the cost now and be ready, Lord. I pray for each believer here that you would strengthen them, that you would fortify them to stand firm, to count the cost and gladly count it to serve you regardless of the cost. Lord, our life is a vapor. It's a mist here today, gone tomorrow. Let us live however long that mist lasts. Let us live it unto you. If it's snuffed out early, then so be it, God. It'll be snuffed out in service to you. Help each one of us here to remain faithful to the end. Lord, I pray for the unbelievers here, whoever they might be, they would see clearly the choice before them. The word of men or the word of God. A road to hell, a road to heaven. An easy way and a hard way. Lord, let them choose right. Let them choose you. Let them count the cost and gladly pay it. Spirit, we acknowledge, we confess, we, we need you to continue to fill us, to continue to count the cost, to gladly pay the price. We are weak on our own, but you strengthen us to bear whatever burden you see fit to allow or to give us. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters here, those watching online, whatever burdens, Lord, that are on them now, whatever trials they're going through, you are faithful to walk with them through this, whatever it might be. You've done it for the saints in the past. You will do it for the saints now. You will do it for the saints in the future. Remind them of the sweetness of your love for them, of the sweetness of your goodness for them. That you tell them you will never leave them, you'll never forsake them. You will always be by their side. Lo, I am with you always, is what Jesus said. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.